Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Forrest. And this is The Crosscut, a podcast that contextualizes the news of the day with the story, themes, and motifs of a treasured or metal piece of cinema. Metal in many ways, this movie. Like, yes. Me- I mean, liquid metal. Liquid metal, mm-hmm. uh, obviously solid metal. Right. Uh, Guns N' Roses recorded a song for this film, so heavy metal. Uh, is the song for the film? No. Well, because I know that at one point John Connor is like riding around on his yes. little motorbike and they have Guns N' Roses, Roses yep. playing. Yep. Is that the song that they recorded? That's it. That was for this film? Because yep. that's just like a big song of theirs. It's just, just made for a Terminator 2. Yeah. Oh, Wow. I That's think, a, unless I'm lying about that, I'm pretty sure they did, though. What was the song? I don't know. I'll look it up. But uh, go ahead and introduce the the, the news article that we're covering <laughs> with this, because we just really dove right in. Well, okay. So, obviously, we're talking about Terminator 2 today, and we are talking about it because there has been some uh, kind of scary stuff in the world of AI that uh, feels very dystopian future. And, obviously, when AI is acting uh, acting wrong, acting mm-hmm. poorly. Um, this is going to be one of those first films that comes to mind. Definitely, there is there are still plenty of films about AI. Yeah. Like we still have not done her, which I guess we'll do at some point. But this was something that was really fun. It's currently streaming on Netflix. If you listen to this in the future, who knows where it's going to be <laughs> streaming? You should just buy the DVD, I guess. Yeah, we made the mistake of saying it wasn't streaming anywhere, um, and then it I think June first it did decide to stream on Netflix. So. Yay, robots for putting it on the service. They heard us. Yeah, they said right. we'll show you humans. Yeah. So the the, <laughs> the Guns N' Roses song is called "You Could Be Mine." It was off of "Use Your Illusion" too, uh, and so it was on their their big album. Yeah. Uh, but it was also in, in like the single released with uh, Terminator 2's, uh debut. Gotcha. Years, so. I mean, it's a big song. I've, I've I'd heard the song. I was like, oh hey, there's Guns N' Roses playing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my my sister is uh, who is five years older than me was prime age sure. for uh, hair metal and uh, had Guns N' Roses posters in her in her room. Sure, and so I just recall like a giant cross with different kinds of skulls that were <laughs> adorned, yeah. like Axl Rose and Slash and yep. all the, the folks um, at each of the points of the cross. Yep, yep, very classic. That's uh, Appetite for Destruction, I believe, is their album cover. Well, I recall seeing it when I was seven and understanding none of it. (laughs) Just that looks cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I guess we should just go ahead and get into the story then. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, we'll do the news uh, right after this musical interlude. Late last month, at a conference held by the Royal Aeronautical Society in London, it was revealed during a talk that autonomous AI-controlled drone systems had started attacking their human operators during a simulation. This claim was retracted by the speaker a few days later. Hmm. So maybe, maybe he either was wrong or maybe someone said, what are you doing, you moron? It's a nice <laughs> career. Be ashamed if something would have happened to yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. I don't know what accent you're doing for- Bugsy. No? Is that not who says that? <laughs> nah, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> a lot of people say that. I, um, I don't know. Just like I, general, like mobster okay, accent. All right. 
Yeah, you you went more like like you said 1920s style yeah. rather than like John, Joe Pesci like Italian style. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm sure there was extortion in the 1920s also. Oh, uh, sure, of course, yes. Yeah, so not wrong. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So anyone who heard the story, uh, as was sort of popularized on social media for a little while, uh, it was pretty shocking, but like also kind of what you would expect to happen if you put AI into some drones. <laughs> right. Well, I did. I had not heard about this because I am truly just unplugged from right. most social media. My life is better for it yep. uh, generally. I mean, okay, my one vice now, and you get to hear the brunt of this, mm. is, uh, is the comment sections on Instagram posts. Yeah, you got to stop that. It's... It's wild how angry people are. Uh-huh. I, I, I understand why the robots will eventually come for us because they're just going to read how hateful and angry everyone on the internet is. And they'll be like, D- "You just we're done. Yeah, you're all, all set. <laughs> you, humanity, you've had a, you had your a run. pretty pretty mediocre run of it. <laughs> this so is we're done. literally a video of a child wearing a fanny pack. And there is some vitriolic stuff in these comments. Yeah. We're done. Yeah, we're all set. Pulling the plug, so yeah. to speak. They they could just pull the plug on social media, and that would be fine too. <laughs> sure, I mean, we would all be better for it. Yes, certainly. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so you know, I mean, not to get too much into the news at this moment. We're gonna get, you know, we're gonna definitely get into it as we go through yeah. the film because there there are some scary parallels. Yeah. Well, let me let me maybe it helps. If I can set the stage, yeah, because let's do it. the first thing we see in the movie is actually the um, the year twenty twenty nine. That's right. right, six so years from now. Six years from now, so we're on track. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in twenty twenty nine, basically, it is a, a repeat of the motif from the first Terminator, which is they're showing the future and right. they're showing uh, sort of the the what the world has become when humans are, are at war with the AI. And so you have all of these guys running, shooting their plasma weapons um, through the sky. You see these giant drones that are sort of carriers for the Terminator machines, the actual T-800 machines. Right. Uh, these, of course, without skin. So uh, they had a little bigger, <laughs> a little bigger budget for Terminator 2. And so they were able to actually you know, have the fully working animatronic robots. Instead they, of, like, so they were puppets. like human controlled, like little yes. robot. Yeah. The, in the first one, they were all stop motion. And this mm. was actually animatronic and, and working. Yeah. I guess James Cameron just got a much larger budget. Yeah, we'll get into it. But yes, very much so. So he had actually shot every other part of the movie first and then had to come back and do this. Um, so this was supposed to be second unit, mm-hmm. uh, the, the opening scene. Did he just hate it? Yeah. He says, uh, <laughs> so in listening to the commentary, he was like, uh, yeah. And, uh, they just couldn't get anything that was usable. <laughs> and I was like, wow. and so he says, so I just went out there and, uh, over the course of about a day and a half, I just shot the whole, whole thing myself. <laughs> and That's so, hilarious. I was just listening to a different podcast. I won't name it cause I want you to listen to ours, yeah. but it was an interview with somebody who was talking about the state of, uh, CG right mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. and how, uh, Marvel is just notorious for treating their computer, like people who work for them, the yeah. computer graphics folks, absolutely terribly. Yep. And they brought up James Cameron and how obviously Avatar had taken years. 13 years or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. to complete. So you can't, 
you can't keep a, a team of folks around for 13 years if you are having them work 24-hour shifts in order to get things done. Yeah. And it was, but they, you know, one of the things that they talked about was how James Cameron is notorious for wanting to put out a good product. Yeah. And he will allot for the budget and the time that he needs in order to get what he is looking yeah. for because he doesn't want it to look bad. That's so true. it's not surprising that he said, this is all garbage yeah. and I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. I understand that as someone who's worked in, uh, who's worked in group projects before yeah. in school. <laughs> I get yeah. it. He, he definitely has like gifted student vibes as a person. It's like when the second Avatar was coming out, there was a lot of press around James Cameron. Yeah. And a lot of it was like, other than act, James Cameron can do almost everything on a movie set better than anyone else. Right. And that's not necessarily true, but it's like, that's the sort of hiography that goes along with his his role. Um, and for the for a lot of it, it like actually is correct. Like the guy is, is very good at m- filmmaking. Um, as you would see by like, just look at the results of like every movie he's made. It's just been astronomical in terms of box office and critical reception and stuff. Right. Um, the one thing that was funny though, in terms of like, uh, timing on this mm-hmm. is that uh, he got the approval, like got the go ahead to make the sequel. And so he calls uh, his co-writer, this guy, William Wisher, and he says, uh, I've got good news and bad news. It's like, what's the good news? Uh, good news is we are going to get to make Terminator 2. Okay, what's the bad news? We're already uh, behind schedule. <laughs> like literally as soon as he got the phone call of the, of the approval. So it's kind of funny. It's like they were they were pushing really hard because they had... Um, they, they wanted had, it to be like a summer blockbuster or well, something. Well, they had deals in place. They had distribution deals in place through the producer to say, you know, territories in Europe and Asia and whatever, uh, you'll have this movie in summer of 91. When did he get, um, I guess, approval for the film? Um, I or don't know exactly, did, but yeah. it did take eight months of shooting. So it was, I think it was like 88 or 89 was when that happened. Wow. Wow. It's so interesting, just in a larger conversation around film, to hear that there's films like this, which get eight or nine months to film. Mm -hmm. And then there are other films that we've got, that we've talked about. Um, Another Arnold film, for instance, uh, Jingle All the Way, one of our (laughs) very first episodes, that they filmed in like four weeks. Yeah. Well, the original, the first Terminator, six weeks of shooting. Wow. Yeah. So considerable step up for this one. Um, now, keep in mind that in between doing the original Terminator and doing this movie, mm-hmm. he did a little film called Aliens, which uh, right. super, you know, blockbuster hit uh, action, you know, adventure set piece. And James stuff. Cameron. OK, uh, is this our first James Cameron film? Yes. OK, so so he was was Terminator his first big one? Uh, yeah, although he got um, he got Aliens before Terminator was released. So like that people knew like, okay, he's doing, he's doing some stuff. His first film was actually Piranha 2, okay. um, but he, he quit, I think, um, at the end. Cause he just wasn't like, it wasn't said, a good oh, movie. You're not doing things <laughs> yeah. to my standard. Yes, that's right. I don't need, I don't need this nonsense. Here, yeah. So he did Terminator and then he did Aliens. And then, uh, I believe this was the third, his third film. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does track that he would just walk away from a potential career building step to to say, I'm not putting my name on this. It, it feels very in line with everything, all, all, all five things that I've learned about James Cameron <laughs> in the past five minutes. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, he's just that kind of dude. Very like 
type A, you know, um, does things his way and, and doesn't really care about what anyone else says. Um, and sometimes that includes like his family. So, you know, right. They, yeah, they've had, uh, I would say he's had a rough time of it with some of his family. Oh, 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 I did miss one. Sorry. After aliens, he did the abyss. Um, okay. the reason that is important is because the alien creature in the abyss underwater has some resemblance to the computer generated nature that they use for the T-1000. Okay. So just, just mentioning that the reason it's hard to remember is because it's literally impossible to find anywhere. Like, I think the last version of it that was released was like a DVD in like 1998 and they haven't done any additional high def versions. Anyway, uh, at the beginning, we've got the drones uh, flying in. We see John Connor as a, an older person for the first time. Um, and the implication here is that he is sending back uh, a Terminator to stop another Terminator. Yeah, what a poor casting for older I didn't Eddie like Furlong. It. Yeah. He just, I mean, I get if you are trying to cast someone who looks, a, looks like a grizzled yeah. war person, but A, his childhood would indicate that he would be more like rebellious. Um, I, I think than what we see in mm-hmm. that very brief little snippet of John, old John Connor. Yep. And then also just physically, he does not look like he would be the older version of Eddie Furlong. Right. You could have chosen any white dude. Yeah. Honestly, just choose a white dude with the same haircut. <laughs> just give him the, like a little swoop haircut. That's yeah, fine. there's just no indication that this is the Crispin same Glover. person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the there is the opening monologue uh, that plays over this, sort of explaining what is happening, which mm-hmm. is from Sarah Connor. Three billion human lives ended on August the 29th, 1997. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only in face, only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. So this is where we are. Um, right. The, the thing about that Cameron said about this is he's like, uh, he really enjoyed, uh, obviously, uh, Linda Hamilton's performance in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that not only the physicality, which I think is something that everyone notes, but also just her performance as an actress in this role, um, being able to adapt and change who Sarah Connor was from the first movie right. to this one. Um, was incredibly impressive. And and even even he mentions this voiceover. It's like, it has to sound like like you, the version of like a thousand yard stare, but like in your voice. She does such a tremendous job. And I think that both of those points are correct. Not only does she do a wonderful job just with the physical transformation, mm-hmm. but 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 yes, right? The, it, it, it's almost, it, it almost reminds me of when people choose someone who is a, child actor mm-hmm. that grows up to be a successful grown-up actor who's some who's somebody that fits that um maybe leo dicaprio yeah sure right we'll, we'll say leonardo dicaprio yeah. uh world's most famous child actor <laughs> i mean jennifer lawrence like there's a the, yeah a, a, most actors that you see probably did some child acting when they're like really really young yeah is what is what i'm thinking of i think okay. jennifer lawrence was maybe like 16 17 sure um, Abercrombie and Fitch model, but I'm talking about like really, really young where you can choose somebody and you're saying to yourself, I see something in you that could transform completely yeah, yeah. from what this is now. And, and I'm banking on that. I, I think that being able to look at the actress who plays Sarah Connor in the first film yeah. and, and cast this person with the possibility that one day she's going to have to play something else, turn into something else. And then her being able to meet that standard yeah. is 
is a, a tremendous amount of foresight. Yeah, well, it didn't. And, I wouldn't know, say that it was foresight or or work on her part. Yes, and so when they got in touch, when James Cameron called Linda Hamilton to say, "Hey, we're doing a second one. Are you are you in?" Yeah, she says, "Sure, uh, I'll be in, uh, but I have to play Sarah Connor as though she is crazy, mm-hmm. like as though she's like she knows what's coming. Mm-hmm. She is being uh, treated as though she's a loon." And so she has to sort of balance that line between like, you know, I'm being portrayed as crazy by the sort of quote unquote sane world, but the sane world has no idea what's coming. And if they did, then my actions would actually seem reasonable, Uh you know? And so she was like, I have to be able to to straddle that line of like, you know, the character being in that space, right? And so it's an amazing job and huge shift from the first movie. We, uh, you know, we did want to, I guess, maybe get into based off of that uh, early scene with the drones and the Terminators, a discussion a little bit about what actually this guy said in his speech. Right. Well, so as Sarah Connor paints the dystopian picture of how the machines turned on humans in Mm -hmm. Terminator, let's now paint the picture of how machines have turned on people in real life. In our dystopian Actuality. And our yeah. dystopian present. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, first of all, there was this guy, there is this person, Colonel Tucker Cinco Hamilton, mm-hmm. who is the chief of AI tests and operations in the U.S. Air Force. And he was speaking at a, at a uh, conference for the Future of Combat and Space Capabilities Summit in London that was put on, as I mentioned, in the top of the podcast by the Royal Aeronautical Society. Mm. And uh, at this conference, there were 70 speakers. There were more than 200 delegates from armed service industries, academia, and the media from around the world. There was an extremely strong in- international presence, which included people uh, from the U.S., France, Germany, Brazil, Greece, Japan, and uh, talking about the various different defenses in the face of new and emerging threats. Okay. And so during this during this speech... Uh, Hamilton was basically cautioning against relying too much on AI Mm -hmm. and noting things like how easy it is for us to trick these devices or deceive these devices, but then also just provided this one little anecdote about a training session that went wrong. Mm -hmm. So was this, like, he had a speech prepared that he was giving as, like, a a keynote, or was he... uh, in a Q&A, like he was answering off the cuff. I, I think that this was like a discussion. Okay, I, okay, I, cool, I have cool. not seen the video of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so just, I can't answer. I can't answer. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that this was something that was like necessarily written down. Yeah. I, the only reason that I say that is because like, if you're giving a presentation at one of these conferences, those things are highly like looked at and peer reviewed and approved by like organizational like governance and if it's like a Q&A and you tell a story, like, then I could imagine, like, things go a little bit, you know, wild. So. Right. Well, I mean, so one thing that we know about Hamilton is that he's currently involved in cutting-edge flight tests of autonomous systems, including robot F-16s mm-hmm. that are able to dogfight. Okay. So, like, the ones that uh, Ed Harris's character wanted to invest in in Top Gun Maverick and uh, yeah. trying to kick Tom Cruise out of the plane. Okay. Yeah, basically. Basically. Um, and 
he so as he's talking about how they're easy to re- to deceive, he also notes that they are also um, they they create highly unexpected strategies to achieve their goals. That's true. So in this particular test uh, or simulation, they had an AI-enabled drone that was tasked with an SEAD mission. Um, they were, I don't know what SEAD, sure. they, it's the military, so they use a lot of acronyms. And acronyms. Yeah. yeah, they were tasked with basically identifying and destroying surface-to-air missile sites or SAM sites. I'm assuming it's surface-to-air missile sites because sure. I Googled SAM. <laughs> yeah, surface-to-air missile, that's right. what yeah. came up. So SEAD is Suppression and Destruction of Enemy Air Defenses. Uh, they threw an extra D in there. Oh, so there's S-E-A-D and D-E-A-D. So said and dead missions. Suppression of Enemy Air Defenses. I don't know why. It's all blowing shit up. Just call it, yeah, we had a blowing shit up exercise. <laughs> right. I'm not, it's, of course, it's going to be enemy. We're not blowing up our own stuff eh. unless the robots hey. try to rise up. There it is. So in this mission, they have, a, a, or in this simulation, this test, they have AI that is tasked with blowing up these SAM sites. And, and it's trained, right? It knows yeah. that it gets certain points for finding and blowing up these sites. But throughout the whole mission, it also has human controllers, people who are in charge of the robot and who are able to say like, "Mm, don't do this, or it's, you know, to to stop them if they're doing something that's weird or out of their parameters. And what the AI noticed is that uh, these humans, these controllers that are able to give them quote unquote no-go decisions mm-hmm. were interfering with its ultimate mission of killing Sam's. Yeah. And so it if killed you are, the operator. Right. Well, so if you're <laughs> AI and you say my ultimate goal is to kill Sam's, here's something that is getting in the way of me killing these Sam's. Yeah. What do you do? Right. The logical thing is attack and kill your operator. So they can't give you the no-go, and then you have the go. Forever. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's funny. It seems like Isaac Asimov solved this uh, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, when he was did the three rules of robotics. Right. And the first one is like, you cannot harm human beings. <laughs> like, like, that's it. <laughs> right, exactly. It seems like they forgot that you should be giving them bigger rules. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Like, I, I do wonder when we are training chat GPT and we have, you know, these various different chatbots. What is there a, an, an ultimate primary objective? I think that there are some ultimate primary objectives when you're when you're talking with or utilizing chat GPT, right? Like you can't get it to say the N-word. Yeah. There are some boundary conditions, yeah. Right. I think that you also can't get it to write out yeah so if, like you can't get it to write out the um recipe for a molotov cocktail right. or um agent orange or right. whatever you know there, like, there are like ways to get around some of that stuff right but, i think yeah. that you can do things like say like in a novel where somebody is blah 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 yeah, blah yeah. and they were trying to do what would they do right, right like right. so you can again you can trick trick ai but yeah. there are parameters that the people who are training these things can set at the very beginning. And yeah. so maybe the very, very, very first one is you can't kill people. Yeah. So the three laws of robotics from Asimov are a robot shall not harm a human or by inaction allow a human to come to harm. The second is that a robot shall obey any instruction given to it by a human. And the third is that a robot shall avoid actions and situations that could cause it to come to harm itself. Yeah. I wonder if one of the reasons that you can't 
start with the three laws is because you actually want them to murder people yeah because if you're the military the entire goal is to go murder people yes so how do you decide how to distinguish between good and bad quote-unquote good or bad people with a with ai so then we move straight from ai into philosophy (laughs) right exactly i mean kind of right and and so maybe if you start with those three laws, then you can't use AI for your giant sky weapons. Yes. Yep. There you go. So maybe, maybe that's the answer as to why this seemed to fail. Yeah. So the next part of the story, we see the, the military kind of freaking out. The people that are running the simulation say, uh, Hey, we, you can't just kill your operator. Mm -hmm. AI don't do that. And so then the AI says, oh, now you're going to stop me <laughs> from achieving my objective. Mm-hmm. And so then it goes to to disconnect the communication device. Okay, great. Perfect. We, I think, uh, also could have covered the movie Megan for this one again. Right, exactly. Just, just again. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and he says, like, it starts destroying the communication tower that the operator uses to communicate with the drone mm-hmm. to stop it from killing the targets. Cool. So all this to say, this is a very... Um, highly detailed story that this person provided at this conference. This has a lot of back and forth. Yeah. This has a lot of things going on here. A lot of specifics about the details of events that may have occurred. Yes. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Which I guess we will get to a little bit later. Um, Hamilton wrapped it up by saying, quote, you can't have a conversation about artificial intelligence, intelligence, machine learning, autonomy, if you're not going to talk about ethics and Mm -hmm. AI. So Mm -hmm. kind of exactly what we're talking about, um, about this becoming basically a conversation about philosophy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, in that regard. Yes. Uh, we can go from philosophy back to science fiction because we got to do a little time travel. Two of my favorite things. Yeah, we got to get back to 1991. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking two Terminators with us. We're taking Arnold Schwarzenegger, the T-800 model. Uh, obviously the same model that was from the original Terminator was film. Was it T-800? I thought it was T-100. It is T-800. Oh, okay. Uh, and so he is now back uh, in in 1991 I love the thing where when he goes back, they have this like ball of energy that sort of transports him. Right. And to make it look good, they carve out a like circular or spherical um, like disappearing act into the back of an 18 wheeler. And they actually had to do that. Yeah. They actually had to get saws out and like carve the thing. Mm -hmm. And in the commentary, Cameron was like, yeah, I guess nowadays people would just do that with like digital stuff. And, and, you know, they just rotoscope it after the, after the fact. Uh, But we just thought it looked good when we just carved it out. And then all of the, the like glowing uh, lines on it, like where it would speed, the metal would be so hot. uh, That was just tape, just fluorescent tape. That was just fluorescent tape. Yeah. I was wondering how they got the embers to stay glowing for yep, so long. That's what it was. That's 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 wonderful. Yeah. I wish, I wish, I mean, we've talked about this so much. I just wish that there was less CG. Yeah. More physical stuff happening in the production of films. Because you can tell we just we're not there yet with, I guess, graphics it's and, just and better it, in limited quantities. That's that's all it is. It's better. Know? And I feel like in some place in some places like this. It should be cheaper, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and in the in this film, so we also get Robert Patrick, uh, who plays the T-1000. Right. Um, he travels back in time, murders a cop. Hey, what are you going to do? Uh, Got to break a few eggs to make an omelet, I guess. Mm. And 
he's he's uh, naked. Right. And they actually had to digitally remove his uh, his Johnson. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, okay. So uh, I think that what is is funny is looking back at this film and, and, and trying to evaluate a work of art that was so seminal in yeah. a lot of ways and trying to figure out what the how it read for audiences yeah, at yeah, the yeah. time. So with both of these, I just had those moments of of wondering to myself, how did audiences perceive this? So so with uh what's his name? The t- Robert Patrick. Rod- Robert yeah. Patrick. With Robert Patrick, he shows up, he's fully naked and you see like full on man butt. Yeah. Right? And uh and it's I, I assume kind of super shocking for people at the time maybe to yeah. see a like fully naked man butt i mean in it, a film uh yeah, it was in 1984 they did the same thing with schwarzenegger did in they? the first terminator yeah so okay so it was kind of like expected yeah. like this oh you're gonna be a terminator we're gonna see your butt. you're gonna see some butt yeah okay that's right the other thing that i thought that i was wondering about to myself as i was watching it is when we see um we see arnold schwarzenegger going yeah. to that motorcycle bar. okay i have a question <laughs> i wrote it down okay do terminators have penises i mean yeah like, because okay, so very clearly they've got penises. So, but, but why? Why? Because did you see the one waitress's look on her face when she came around the corner? I did, I did, and she, the, she gave him like the full body, like the look down, the look up, the whole thing. I got, I understand, I understand how we can know that from the film. Yes. What I'm saying is, in the year 2029, yeah, the robots have made a Terminator yeah. that I that looks like a human being, yeah, and they said. We have to give it a penis. Yes. Why? Like we as a society have perfected creating human junk shaped robots. No, but I guess look, but why would you stick it on to a Terminator? And in, in like the implication is, yeah. right? Okay. So why does he have skin and all this stuff is so that he can camouflage, right? He can right. disguise as human and get into places. That yeah. was established in the first movie. But the the implication then is that the penis is a requirement for said camouflage but the first thing he does when he goes back in time is steal someone's clothes murder them and take their clothes right and so here's the thing uh-huh. you, the implication is the robot said at some point it may be necessary for this machine to have sex with someone well no or okay pee on them i guess but. no i you know what it is is maybe it's just recognizing that it is going to come back in time and be completely naked hmm. but, and people yeah. are going to see it. And so if people see it, they're going to say to themselves, Oh, there's a naked person. Yeah. Or they're going to say to themselves, there is a naked thing that looks like a person, but has a Ken doll, has Ken doll yeah. between its legs. Right. That's super weird. And that more might get reported than, on. Sure. More weird than the naked, just the naked man walking around. I guess I, you know, maybe. Okay, I, I could be convinced, but I guess I'm just like, but that is a weird decision to make on behalf of a advanced AI that has destroyed half of the world and is like, all right. But, <laughs> or, I mean, or if you're AI and you just say a human body is a human body, why would I make it or not make it? Like, also, why would I give it a nose? Because it doesn't have to smell. But it ha- But the nose is visible, and so it has to have that for camouflage, right? I'm thinking of this like evolutionarily, like what is not necessary that you could... Uh, for lack of a better word, like cut out. Okay, but then you could say, why give it toes? 
I think that if you're if you're a yeah. robot, you don't have any kind of uh, shame or anything associated with no, more no, no, no. or less. Yeah. With parts, it's there's no there's no hierarchy of what parts stay or go. You just say I'm going to replicate a human person. Okay, it leads me down a, a, a series of questions that could be its own podcast. So we'll save it. We'll we'll table it for now. <laughs> uh, but the point I was trying to make at initially, yeah, um, is in terms of the special effects mm. and the amount that it shows up on screen. Mm-hmm. They um, they worked with Industrial Light and Magic, so George Lucas's um, uh, graphics company, ILM, uh, based in, in the Bay Area, uh, and their graphics department had to grow from six artists to 36 in order okay. to accommodate uh, all the work that was required for the T-1000. Mm-hmm. It cost $5.5 million and took eight months to do all of the, the post work, and it amounted to three and a half minutes of screen time. Oh, wow. So compare that to Marvel, right? Which is like, we've shot everything. You have three months to do all of the effects for it. And we're not paying for any more additional people. We're just going to run you into the ground with like overtime. And it's going to be 80% of the movie instead of three and a half minutes of the movie. That's the difference. Yeah. I mean, we also do have computers and everything that, that computer power that we did not have at that point but, as well but you're right but absolutely. to your point it still looks like crap today like it's yes. still yeah so yeah the the one thing that i was wondering about with him being in the bar is he steps he he, he obviously takes the clothes off of the guy um after he beats everybody up in the bar yeah and then he steps out of the bar wearing all leather and yeah. he's like leather jacket and what song is playing bad to the bone <laughs> And it feels so hackneyed and it feels so silly now. But I wonder, was that like one of the first times that that was played in a film in that way? Like, does it feel hackneyed and cliche because this was the thing that set the cliche? So according to James Cameron, Mm -hmm. uh, he had to argue with two of his editors for the inclusion of this song (laughs) because... uh, his argument was that it was iconic, right? That like you were creating Arnold as the Terminator, not as just like a character in this film, but as like an icon in cinema, which mm-hmm. I will admit is hundred percent true. Yeah. He's not wrong about that. Um, and so it says, this is a moment that I like audiences will, will like, they will appreciate the, the quote unquote needle drop as the kids say. Yeah. Uh, but the editors were like, Okay, there are two other movies that we've worked on where they're doing this kind of thing. And so I don't know whether this was the first one to come out and do it. It certainly hadn't been like... Certainly wasn't the first one to do it. It certainly wasn't the first one. It wasn't like a novel idea. It was an idea that was like in the ethos, right? Right. Um, But... You know, it works for the movie and it's a little silly, but it, it works for the movie. It just it was it was, a, it was just a thought that I had. I was like, this is this is pretty silly. But maybe it was less silly because it wasn't we, there wasn't 30 years of yeah. subsequent people, you know, copying it. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have the Terminators in play. They're chasing after John Connor mm-hmm. played by. Uh, Eddie Furlong. Eddie Furlong. Uh, I, I wrote this down in my notes. You already mentioned it as we were watching the movie. Uh, but my question was, uh, did you have a big crush on Eddie Furlong back in the day? Why would you ask that, though? I'm curious. I don't know. It just seems like your type. <laughs> like like uh, boyish, and but like uh, a little bit of a troublemaker, knew how to ride a dirt bike, could hack into ATMs, had a public enemy <laughs> shirt with like a jacket over. I don't know. It seemed like a dirtbag vibe that you might have been into 
uh, at the time. Apparently, I'm very, very readable because I 100% <laughs> had a huge crush on Eddie Furlong, but specifically as John Connor sure. in this film, 100%. And so this is the weird thing about us um, recording some of these episodes out of order. In our next episode, y'all are going to get to hear about other crushes that were uh, seminal sure. to my uh, coming into womanhood, sure, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Um, but I would say that, that yes, Eddie Furlong as John Connor and also Kurt Cobain were 100% the archetypes for the, the, the people that I would find attractive, uh, yeah, just in there my teen, teen years. There you go. Before I realized that, that you know, <laughs> muscles are, are more, not muscles, but like you shouldn't be able to just knock someone over with a wet noodle. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the wayfish thing. Uh, it turns out that was mostly due to the heroin, and so oh, right. it's a bad, bad thing. Yeah, I was like, oh, heroin chic, not as attractive as I thought when I was 14 yeah. years old. <laughs> yeah, normally it's accompanied by heroin, which is a problem of its own. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so we've got Eddie Furlong. He's a has a couple foster parents. Uh, his The foster mother is played by Jeanette Goldstein, who was in Aliens. Mm-hmm. Um, the father is played by Xander Berkeley, who's one of those guys who's been in a lot of stuff. He, he acts quite a bit, um, nowadays and he's, you know, sort of the rebellious kid. He's robbing ATMs with his fancy, like, I always used to think it was a Game Boy, but it's some other kind of computer, um, that he's using, uh, along with his good friend, Bobby Budnick. <laughs> right. Right. And so I looked this up cause I was, I was curious and this was before salute your shorts. Yep. So the um, Cameron said that he found the actor uh, or the casting director found an actor just hanging out at the YMCA. <laughs> and, and Amazing. Go, yeah. He, and he just looked like that. And he's like, yeah, that looks like somebody who would be Eddie Furlong's uh, friend in this movie. So the casting director walked up and was like, hey, have you uh, ever acted before? Because this was in L.A., of course. Mm-hmm. And he was like, um, no, but sometimes my dad like films our birthday parties on camera. <laughs> <laughs> so that was his introduction. And so he became he became the best friend of uh in in this film and then I guess someone from Nickelodeon was like, "Hey kid, we're yeah. uh, we're we're shooting a TV series where it's always summertime for yeah. some reason. Come and play the same character at a summer camp." Yeah, that's right. Love that's it. Exactly right. So, uh at this time, um you know, we have uh, John Connor going to the mall, the Galleria. We also see Sarah Connor at a state hospital. So she is in, she's been committed. Um, she's doing, she's doing some great job with her pull-ups, uh, in the, like in the bars under yeah. her room. Like she's very, very jacked, uh, in Could she movie. do actual pull-ups? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She, she trained like crazy for this. Um, and this was one of the, the things that, they talked about in the commentary also is like, and we mentioned it as well. Mm. It's the, one of the first times you can remember a, a female character in an action movie getting in this kind of shape, mm-hmm. uh, specific and doing this kind of body transformation, um, for that, you know, more, um, not like to be an object of desire, but to be like a, a like badass. Right. I think one of the only other times I can think about this is, well, okay. So Ridley, right. In alien, Ripley. Ripley. That's it. Not Ridley. Yeah. I was like, Ridley Scott did direct Alien. So yeah, go ahead. (laughs) Ripley. Yeah. Yeah. Ripley and Alien, right? Um, Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver was pretty pretty jacked. Yeah. I think she was like kind of just naturally in that shape. That's just her body, her body type. Um, And then the other person that I can think of, the only other one I can think of that had a huge body transformation at this level that 
early on is Demi Moore. Oh, for G.I. Jane. For G.I. Jane. That was a little after this, but it was, yeah. It but was yeah. later, but but I mean, it was, I can't think of anybody between no. this and that, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, I think what's interesting too, is you look at her body though, and it was, her shoulders are amazing. Yeah. And she, her, she's got that V to her upper torso that sure. very yeah, clearly, yeah. like she's been working on her lats. And I would also say that it's not that uncommon now to see women um, on like Instagram or TikTok or whatever who are in like into fitness sure. who do the same kind of body transformation. Um, but the like culture and society was just so different That's back right. then. Yeah, you know, totally. and it was it's not uncommon now, and women are super jacked now. You know that that are into fitness or whatever. Right, right. Um, and so you you forget, you know, like Cassius growing up is not going to really understand the impact of what this body yep. looked like to people who watched it for the first time. Yeah, it, it uh, I, this is probably not going to surprise you. I don't know, but mm. we had a, a uh, in my, gosh, ninth grade or maybe 10th grade English class, we had a unit on feminism. Oh. And uh, we had to bring in two examples of like feminism and whatever and works of art okay. or, or literature or whatever. Um, and I brought in the scene from Terminator 2 where she escapes from the the room okay. and like beats the crap out of the guy who like licked her face and um, what and everything. So uh, I was like, I was like, yeah, this is like the strong, empowered woman doing some cool stuff mm-hmm. in, in a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my, that was one of my examples. All right. Yeah. Uh, what was your other example? Don't remember. Okay. Not a clue. <laughs> what, how did you bring this in for your report? Well, I mean, I brought in the VHS. Oh, you just brought in the tape. Yeah, and, and you, I had it queued up to the You the had like the scene. AV guy at school bring, roll in the, the giant television deck. How dare you not assume that I was you the, were the AV I was guy. like, you were the <laughs> AV guy. Of course you were the, were you? Yeah. I mean, not, there wasn't like an AV guy for like the whole school or whatever, right. but it's like, if there was a issue in the class where it's like, we need to set up the TV or whatever, like that was me. What grade was this? 10th, I think. 10th grade. Yeah. So this was like eight uh, IB stuff or this was this like. This was just before. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have so many questions. My other question what was the reply or response from your teacher slash class? Uh, I think the teacher was cool with it until she stabs the guy in the neck with the needle. And she's like, <laughs> okay, we have to stop this. The class was like, let's watch the whole movie. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Uh, so the only other thing I'll mention about uh, Linda Hamilton in this film mm. is, uh, do you know when the T-1000 is pretending to be Linda Hamilton and then Linda Hamilton actually comes up behind it and shoots it. Yes. Uh, in the, in the hospital, right. During the escape. No, that, this is the, it's at the very end. Is it the very end? Yeah. Okay. Um, but it is, uh, actually, uh, Linda Hamilton's twin sister. Shut Leslie up. Leslie Hamilton Guerin. Yeah. And, uh, so she is used in a, as a double in the scenes where there are two Sarah <gasps> Connors. There's that one. There's also a deleted scene where they're like doing some repairs, um, in a mirror. And rather than, because what happens is the camera goes across. So you would expect to see a reflection of the camera in the mirror. Uh-huh. You're like, oh, do they digitally edit it out? It's like, no, they replaced the glass with just a room that looks the same on the other side. And so I'll show it to you. It's My it's face, awesome. my yeah. face right now. <laughs> I'm, I, I cannot uh, fathom. That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Wait, so then did her sister also have to get into super duper shape? I think she had to get into like a, a not like as jacked, right? Because she's not like the focal point. Right. But she like had to make sure she was, you know, 
She had to well, match her twin. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's so much pressure. Uh, <laughs> and you get none of the, you get none of the, the accolades because no one even knows that, that Leslie Hamilton even exists. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Who are you? Leslie Hamilton? Yes. yes. <laughs> Actually, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I thought that was, that was a fun little fact about uh, Linda Hamilton. The, um, the other thing, so she is now in the, uh, hospital and mm-hmm. they are showing her sort of video of her talking about the initial Terminator attack. Right. They're showing, um, her trying to convince the, the doctor, um, who's the same guy who played the psychiatrist in the first one, mm-hmm. um, that like, she's better now. She should go to minimum security so that she can get a visit from her son. Right. And he's like, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to keep you in here for another six months to evaluate. And then she like breaks his hand. <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, in the meantime, she was like, as she was trying to convince him, she's like, well, you know, they, um, if, if there were really a Terminator, there would have been a machine. We would have seen that, or we would have seen eyewitness reports and there weren't any blah, blah, blah. Right. So, nobody believes her yeah. because it was it's covered. been covered up. That's right. Well, speaking of cover-ups, mm-hmm. let's move on to a different Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> a different, different Hamilton. Um, Colonel Hamilton, the, the, the gentleman speaking at the conference yeah. in case we, in case we all forgot, his name is Colonel Tucker Hamilton. Okay. His, no relation. His nickname is Cinco. I'm assuming because he's in the air force, that's his call sign. Sure. He is the fifth Hamilton that they found. <laughs> <laughs> well, Colonel Hamilton, um, later, a few days later came out and publicly said that he quote misspoke in his presentation and that uh, the rogue AI drone simulation was actually a hypothetical thought experiment Hmm. from outside the military Uh based on plausible scenarios and likely outcomes rather than actual Air Force real world simulations. And his quote was was quoted as saying, quote, "Uh, we've never run that experiment, nor would we need to in order to realize that this is a plausible outcome. I mean, true, correct. You would not need to. Doesn't mean you didn't. <laughs> here's the here's the thing about so there's a lot to unpack here. Yes. Okay. So so first of all, again, this idea that he's saying that this is a hypothetical thought experiment. There's too much people fucking up yeah. in the original story that he tells. Right. And and so I just, it's, it's a weird thing. To, it's a very detailed scenario or like a very detailed um, set of things happening back right. and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth to be like, oh, we were just imagining what would happen. Right. I mean, like you could conceivably like game theory this out and like resu- uh, arrive at those. But the way that you describe it is not something that he could have misinterpreted as being actually a thing that happened. I right, right. Is the is the the story that he's trying to spin now that he was mistaken about things that were happening for him as as again the, the head of the whatever the chief yeah. of AI tests and operations as the chief yeah. of AI tests and operations he is mistaken about whether something was a test yeah. or a hypothetical that seems unlikely you should be fired from your job just for that if that's the case right yeah but, uh, but, and I would also like to remind people that the yearly budget for the military is 
over $800 billion, and they cannot account for more than 60% of that in an audit. And right. so they could be doing these things and we would have no way to know. If they're not doing these things, it's a little bit negligent. <laughs> Given all of the stuff that's happening, you should 100, I mean, like, look, you should do it well. Yeah. You should yeah. you should make sure that all the fail safes are, in, but right. it's, it would be mind blowing to think that the largest military in the world wasn't seeing what would yeah. happen if we did tests yeah. with with, with AI, AI drones, yeah. that you can literally access from my computer at right. home. Right. I mean, because we know China is doing it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent they're doing it. But then the final thing I want to touch on is that that quote where we've never run that experiment. Yeah, we've never What run. was the experiment that he described? Because the experiment that he described was literally just saying that we've got a a, a test, yeah. a simulation yeah. of an AI drone or whatever, right. a drone with AI, uh, where they're supposed to uh get rid of surface to air missile targets. Yeah. You're saying that you've never run that simulation. Right. That's the simulation. The, the other part of it's not part of the simulation that right. you would run. That's the other stuff that goes wrong with the simulation, right. if that makes sense. The simulation is uh, we, have standard an test. we have an AI piloting a drone targeting SAMs with a human override. That's what you're... Right. You're saying that test. you've never done the most basic yeah. test with AI. Yeah. Then well, what is your job? <laughs> I will say this. Uh, I, I listened to a bit of a podcast about like how the government does work with AI in uh, the military, mm -hmm. and it does seem like they're actually pretty far behind. It seems like they have had a, a good run of things from World War II up until about you know ten years ago, mm -hmm. and when it came time for them to be doing things with software, right? Uh, it turns out they were not ready to do that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess right. Occam's razor is when you hear hoofbeats. You should expect incompetent horses. <laughs> sure. Right? It's not yeah. zebras. It's just really dumb horses. Sure. Yeah. That's a, for that's... people who haven't heard that expression before, <laughs> they may not know what you're talking about, but. Yeah. That's Occam's razor, right? Uh, sure. Yeah. It's kind of. No, I mean, it's just, I, I, it's, it's, I guess it's easy to imagine that our government spends a whole lot of money on like big warplanes that don't fly yeah. and not a whole lot of money on technology yeah. that is actually coming up and also easy to believe that we have a severe lack of people in America who have been trained adequately in science and engineering yep. in our American school systems. Yeah. And the ones that have been trained well uh, are, are not interested in working for defense but, contractors right. or the military. They're going to go work for Google. Yeah. But anyway, so we have uh, our Terminators in play. We mm -hmm. have our protagonists in play. And so we get two set pieces back to back pretty quickly. The first is the Terminators uh, chasing after John Connor at the Galleria in the mall. That's right. Uh, the great, mall. great scene. Um, now, this is, I don't know if you thought about this, because obviously once you've seen the movie, you kind of know the big reveal. But audiences did not know when this movie came out that Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator was not trying to kill John Connor. <laughs> and they didn't know Robert Patrick's character was trying to kill John Connor, right? Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because you have Patrick going around as a police officer. As a police officer. Yep. And and you had he was and Schwarzenegger was a bad guy before yep. and he is in leather and he's clearly bad, bad to the bone. To the to the metal bone. That's right. And so, you know, you even though they 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 were like Cameron said, we wanted it to be ambiguous. Like Robert Patrick is dressed as a police officer, but he has a weird 
an off-putting aura to him. Yeah. Um, and then Schwarzenegger, you know, beats the crap out of a bunch of people in a bar, steals right. clothes and a motorcycle and has a big shotgun. But we're having more fun with him as a character. Like, right. You know? And so it's like a little bit of a trying to suss it out. And then uh, Furlong is running away from uh, the T-1000 or um, Robert Patrick as a police officer because cops suck. <laughs> and so... Because, well, he's just a, he's, <clears throat> he has a distrust yeah, well, of police officers, especially if you're going around stealing money out of ATMs. Exactly. Which is a crucial part that we saw earlier which would indicate why he's distrustful of the police and why he would run. So right. useful, very good writing so that it sets up the, the action rather than having to explain things. Right. I mean, right. it's in keeping with his entire character as somebody who also was on the run yep. their entire lives, yep. doesn't trust authority figures, yep. probably was taken away from his mother by Clearly, police by officers, yeah, yeah. by the state, put in with these super shitty foster parents. Yep. Um, it 100% makes sense that he would... Uh, that he would distrust police. Yep. So uh, he he starts running. Um, Schwarzenegger comes up behind him, pulls out this big shotgun out of a box of flowers, which was very funny to me yes. as a kid. Uh, and then the uh, T-1000 is on the other side of the hall, pulls out his handgun. This is when we get the reveal where uh, Schwarzenegger yells at, uh, at John Connor, get down. Does he actually say get down? I think so, yeah. Okay. I. You know what? I think I was just so in... I was, I was so wrapped up in the movie that I did not catch that very, very yeah. classic catchphrase. Yeah, and it is a repetition of what Kyle Reese's character says to Sarah Connor in the first movie. Mm. So it's an inversion of that mm -hmm. relationship. Uh, so they get out of there, have this uh, motor... Well, John Connor gets on his dirt bike, uh, gets out of the Galleria. Schwarzenegger gets on his Harley, eventually goes and catches up with Furlong and... Mm -hmm. Uh, protects him. Uh, this set piece is kind of amazing in the stuff that they pull off. First of all, um, Edward Furlong's riding his dirt bike initially, mm -hmm. and uh, he what he didn't really know how to ride a motorcycle, so that every time you see him and you know it's him, it's a trailer pulling the bike. Okay. And all the other scenes, it's a stunt double. Okay, because um, there was definitely a moment where he was riding and he had Budnick on the back, and I mean, I guess I just didn't see the bottom of the bike. Yeah. Because I was thinking to myself, hey. Uh, I can't believe they let him actually drive no, this. No, if bike. it's if it's if you can tell that it's him, it's not. Okay. It's 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 on a, a trailer. Good to know. Um, the other thing is the stunt double. They, James Cameron said, uh, "All right, so you're going to take off and you're going to go, and, and Patrick Robert Patrick's going to run behind you, and he's going to run as fast as he can." Mm -hmm. Robert Patrick trained for months, wow, um, so that he could run breathing through his nose mm -hmm. without looking like he's exerting himself at all, yeah. and could get up to like really fast speed. So the very first time they did it. The stunt guy takes off on the motorcycle and Robert Patrick catches up to him <laughs> and taps him on the shoulder. <laughs> Do they, I wonder if they have film, I mean, they, if they kept that I don't for, know. for like a blooper reel or whatever, because that's hilarious. It's a good question. I'll have to look in and see if I can find it. If so, I'll include it on the the you know list of our links at the end of the show. But okay. um, but yeah, so I uh, I thought that was hilarious. Good job, Robert Patrick. Like, dude, dude killed it at that role. Like, he was People, so good. People trained so hard for every single part of this role. I know. I except for Butnick, who just showed <laughs> up as he was at the Galleria in yeah. real life. I I think that it shows though, because for Robert Patrick, for pretty much his entire career, I'm just like, oh, that's the T one thousand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's he, who I know him as. Yeah, he has other movies where he like plays off of that a little bit. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but there's also so 
Uh, in this scene, we get the Schwarzenegger uh, on the Harley where he's got the shotgun and he's like twists it around on his hand, mm-hmm. you know, to like to cock it and load it. Right. Um, he he uh, tore the skin off of like three fingers on his uh. hand uh, when doing that because they gave him the wrong shotgun initially or, or he used the wrong one. The one that you'll see has a larger opening for mm-hmm. his hand so it can actually do the spin move. Okay. Um, he tried doing it with one that was not wider on the hand and then hurt himself pretty badly on mm-hmm. that. Also, there's the scene where um, at the very end before they drive off and the T-1000 walks out of the fire, Yeah. he goes to put the gun into his like, you know, holster or whatever. Right. Every time he did that, he hit Edward Furlong in the head. <laughs> <laughs> so they did it four times and one time he hit him so hard that he almost knocked him out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so rough times for, for little Eddie. Uh, the other thing uh, that was funny about this is they have the, they have two other big stunts. Mm-hmm. One, uh, the uh, truck, like the big semi-truck, jumping mm-hmm. through uh, like through a barrier and down on into the LA River. Yes. Right? Uh, destroy that truck. Like they had to find another one that they yeah, could use yeah, yeah. after but they jumped They in. destroyed the barrier, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, broke the axle on the truck and it couldn't drive anymore. I feel so like you would also break the river bottom. There, I mean, It feels like everything in that scene yeah. was broken. Yes. Well, and then the truck keeps driving and they were like, okay, we have to drive and chase them to this point. Um, and there's a bridge. And they couldn't get the truck under the bridge. And so rather than come up with a new way to do the chase scene, they're like, oh, this is when they run into the bridge and it cuts the top off the truck. Yeah. So they actually just like, you know how you have like pre-perforated uh, packaging that will like rip easily? Yeah. They basically perforated the truck so that when it hit the bridge, it top flew off. Amazing. Yeah. Um, this is all like real shit. They had real vehicles that they did this with, which is why it looks amazing. Did you watch the commentary? And, yeah. and this is all, this is stuff yeah. from the commentary? Mm-hmm. Love it. I miss commentary. Like, yeah. do they, can they just add commentary as a as a mode on Netflix and like whatever because it's it's yeah. a shame that all of this institutional yeah. knowledge and whatever is lost to anybody who is streaming. Yeah, I agree with you and they never will. It's so. a shame or listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh the the only other thing I'll mention is um there's a part where Schwarzenegger jumps off of a little like kind of ramp thing down into the um into the river on a motorcycle. Right. So he does a big motorcycle jump. Uh, that was actually done with wire work. So that means they held up the motorcycle on wires. As it drove off, they lowered it down on a crane, and then they digitally removed the wires afterwards. That okay. was the first time that uh, a stunt like that had ever been done with wire work. In so, America? And, uh, with a motorcycle. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, typically, I feel like wire work was done for a long time over in with, Asia. Yes, right? for sure. It, uh, definitely. But that was mostly for people. Right. Um, not for vehicles like this. Yeah. And so this was the first time it was done with a vehicle and then it had the wires digitally removed. They go straight from this. They they get away from the T-1000 enough to then be able to like drive away. They have a little conversation at, uh, at twilight hour, you know, golden hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically that's it starts out with John Connor saying, like, look, I know you're not here to kill me. Because if you were, you would have already. Right. Which I think gets a lot of like the legwork out of the way. That's like good writing to just mm-hmm. be like, okay, I figured it out. The audience, we figured it out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have uh, another conversation at, uh, about not killing people when it's dark, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and they make a phone call to the foster parents, which is the one of the scariest things from my childhood. Yes. Yeah. Well, even watching it as a grown up, I mean, the the thing that that the foster mom has on her arm yep. looks like a real blade at, at the at the tip of it. The, it it's it's moving in the light in a way that um, 
looks very solid yeah. and real in real life. It is. It's a prosthetic. So yeah. they, they've crafted the prosthetic that looks like a big blade that's on her hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it was, when it went through his, the guy's head, the actor's head, mm-hmm. that was real. Like he had a thing in between his teeth and he had a little point attached to the back of his head. Um, and then he was, and uh, Cameron, I think was being a little silly or a little bit like uh, obsequious about this. Uh, he's like, oh, and when we pulled it out, I forgot how we did that effect. I'm like, no, you didn't. You just don't want to tell people because it looks awesome. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was that was very cool because that, and, and again, that scene, the part where like the hand or the blade changes back into the hand, mm-hmm. couple seconds of CG, and then the part where she turns metal and then turns back into Robert Patrick, like that's a little bit of CG, but like not a lot. It's not practical, a lot. yeah. Not a lot. And I'm sure with teams of people working for a very long time to do it. What I think is hilarious about this is that this clearly inspires another, a TV show uh, from our childhood, at least from mine. Secret World of Alex Mack? Yes. And they don't have the budget, so it looks way worse. Yes, yeah. (laughs) But I'm like, oh yeah, Alex Mack. Yes. And so uh, that was, uh, that was definitely inspired by this, 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have the next uh, set piece, which is just uh, what goes on in getting Sarah Connor out of the hospital. So, you know, we, we don't have to talk through all of that. But the cool parts are T-1000 morphs into a bunch of people and then walks through the, the barrier. Just the tension that yeah. is created in that moment where you you think for a moment this this robot is stuck and yep. like maybe they're safe and then he just melts on through yep. the bars and i i think that everybody must have lost their minds yeah 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 exactly um and the, there's the scene where she runs away and then schwarzenegger comes out of the elevator and like some of the best acting i've ever seen just like the pure terror and like the way it's shot and uh-huh. like they slow it down a little bit so you see her you know her foot slides yeah. and she falls yeah. and she's like scrambling but i mean this entire scene this entire sequence mm-hmm. i was just riveted watching it again if you haven't watched this film you're just listening to this because you're like oh i remember this this is such a good scene i mean the whole movie is just so solid through yeah. and through yeah and this particular scene is so so good and so worth a rewatch yes. because when the moment that she comes out of the hospital she's or out of her room yeah from the very moment you can see the training that has gone into what she's been doing. She's clearly been working with somebody that's paramilitary or former military mm-hmm. to make sure that not only her body is is in shape, but that her actions have this con- conservation of movement right. with every single thing that she does. She gets out of the room, does a quick hop, gets the the stick or yeah, whatever the, that, the the bully stick or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. from the oh right right yeah, yeah the orderly yep 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 and she she holds on to that in like such a controlled yeah. militaristic way and the every single thing that she does in the chase where the orderlies are following her where she breaks the key off in the lock is yep. so well thought out and so fluid in her movement yep. it's just it's so cool to see Linda Hamilton embodying this character in that yeah, way totally that this was that was the scene her like escape that was the one i showed in my english class so good yes yeah, it's, it's perfect feminist um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um then they they escape they're they're running from the t-1000 um he you know is fast so he chases them and uh can't quite uh, catch them at this point and so they are now at night driving um away basically they're they, her idea is to go to mexico 
get out of there, hide from the Tier 1000. Just, yeah, just go south. And um, she knows people there who have weapons and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. her, her initial plan. Um, and as they're driving, uh, you asked, like, what uh, was the description of um, of Skynet, right? Right. You asked, like, okay, so wh- where did Skynet come from, blah, blah, blah. And so Arnold Schwarzenegger, as the Terminator, says, um, and I'll just go ahead and cut in um, what he says from his monologue. Okay. In three years, Cyberdyne will become the largest supplier of military computer systems. All stealth bombers are upgraded to Cyberdyne computers, becoming fully unmanned. Afterwards, they fly with perfect operational record. The Skynet funding bill is passed. The system goes online August 4th, 1997. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug. The only thing that's unrealistic about what he's describing Other here. Other than that accent I was just doing. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to cut an arm. I, I was just kidding. I'm going to leave that in. Yeah, <laughs> leave 100% in. leave that in. No, the only thing that is unrealistic about what Cameron is describing here is yeah. the timeline in which it happens. Sure, yeah. So that's kind of the only thing that he doesn't get right because yeah. obviously a lot of the things that they're talking about yeah. is kind of happening now. The conversations are happening now and yeah. it's 2023, but I think that to th- to say that there were what 22 years between the time that the robots came online right. and the time that they decided to kill all the humans feels like the robots were kind of dilly dallying a little bit. <laughs> it actually wasn't that long. So they said that Sky he says Skynet becomes um, goes online August the fourth, uh-huh. and um, the Judgment Day happens August 29th. I thought the Judgment Day happened in 2029. Yeah, that was just the war. They were just fighting. Oh, oh, okay. So Judgment Day happens just a few months after. Yeah, because they... at the beginning, Sarah Connor says three billion human lives ended on August 29th, 1997. So. Okay, okay. Judgment Day was just a few months later. Yeah. 2029 was just they'd been fighting the war That's for right. 20 years. Yes. I gotcha. Okay. Which, scrappy humans, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then eventually they black out the sky and that's where we get the Matrix. Hey, I mean, we gotta gotta get there somehow, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah. So, I know you wanted to see <laughs> something about what uh, companies that are in the real world uh, called Skynet are up to right now. Right. Well, I, you know, I think that there are people who I don't know if it's just tongue in cheek or just being ignorant of one of the highest grossing films mm-hmm. of all time. But there are companies that have called this organizations that have decided to call themselves Skynet. So mm-hmm. I was just curious if I Google Skynet, uh, but remove the term Terminator. By the way, folks, you can do that pretty easily. If you just hit minus and then whatever word you want, yeah. you can remove anything that has that word in it. Cool. And uh, the first thing that comes out is uh, Skynet Worldwide Express. Okay. Which is just like, they, we deliver your shipments all oh, over the sure. world. Um, but I, what was funny about this one is that their their URL is such a missed opportunity because it's skynet.net. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sky.net. <laughs> yeah, sky.net, right? Um, so so they're just a courier, I guess. Yeah. Um, they also, uh, they're Skynet Worldwide Express, but one of their main sections is just tracking. So that's, sure. I think, on par with, with what a Terminator does. <laughs> that's true, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have a, a few different things. There's like the Skynet data center. Okay. Which. Still, it's all networks in the sky. Yeah. 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 Um, there is Skynet Labs, which is 
There's Skynet Labs, which is a decentralized internet for free for a free future. Uh, that sounds like they're making Terminators. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then Chapel Hill has something called a Skynet, which is a global network of robotic telescopes. Okay. All right. So the robots can spy on us. Sounds good. Yeah. So anyways, I was just curious. Uh, there's Skynet Aviation. There's just a lot of people who it truly is hard. I'm like, why would you name your thing Skynet? It's like the company that's named Soylent. And it's like just like Slim Fast Shakes. But they're like, but, you know, Soylent is people, right? So. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Skynet Drone Defense. Yes. Which is a system that is designed to down a drone that could be interfering with police investigations. Okay. Sure. But what if the police are interfering with police investigations? <laughs> then the drone downs them. Robot does not compute. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's that's funny that, yeah, people, come on, do better. It's I, Somebody thought that they were being very clever. Yeah. And then like 10 other people had the same thought. Right. That's right. Um, but speaking of Skynet, uh, Sarah Connor realizes the only way to stop it is to destroy the person who creates it. Mm-hmm. This guy by the name of Miles Dyson. Uh, played by the the gentleman who plays Olivia Pope's father in Scandal, Eli according Pope, to you, yeah. Rowan. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he's actually played by a, a young man by the name of Joe Morton. Okay. Um, and so, at young in this movie, he's he's older now. But uh, sure. The um, so they are they are um in Mexico stocking up on all these weapons, and Sarah Connor has this nightmare. Um. And she carves the words no fate into the table. And then she pieces out. She says, I'm going to go get this guy. If I can if I can destroy him, then we're not uh, subject to the fate of uh, unrelenting future. We have free will. And that's one thing Cameron says in the commentary that is the, the motif or the, the big theme of the movie is uh, fate versus free will. Are, are we able to be the architects of our own destiny? That's the... The question. He says the first movie kind of comes down on the side of there is no free will, and this one comes down on the side of, yeah, there is. So it's it's interesting that he thinks that this comes down on the side of there is free will because in taking their free will by sending somebody back to protect his mom in the past, he actually ends up doing the thing that is fate, which is create giving the technology to yeah. create the computers in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. It's this a paradox. What, you can't. It's a paradox, and you can't think too much about time travel stuff like this, <laughs> right? But it's it's basically like if he had just said, "I'm going to break this cycle. Right. I'm not going to send somebody back," then they wouldn't have had the technology to create the robots that try to kill him. Well, that the first Terminator was sent back by the machines. So, oh right, yeah. Oh okay, so then the machines realized that they needed to continue the loop. Or so, yeah, or whatever, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to, yeah. We can't get into it too much. <laughs> it's hard to parse. You have to send back another robot to clean up the robot That's in the right. first movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon there's going to be like Terminator uh, 84, and 84 Terminators come back in time. It's like, this is too many. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so they uh, they go and they, or Sarah Connor goes to find uh, Miles Dyson, has the ability to kill him, but just chooses not to shortly after uh john connor and and the terminator show up and they decide oh well they explain what happens arnold rips his skin off of his hand again Mm -hmm. um and they uh they take it quite well honestly (laughs) as they mentioned in the film he he takes it pretty well yeah um yeah he's he's pretty upset about it yeah um because it's his life's work would you like to know who else was upset about the direction of their life's work would love to 
Well, uh, one of the godfathers of AI, Yeshua Bengio. Okay. I'm pronouncing that probably super duper wrong. Apologies to Mr. Bengio. Is it B-I-N-G-O? <laughs> B-E-N-G-I-O. Okay. <laughs> and Bengio was his <laughs> name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he has come out rec- as recently as uh, June 1st saying that he basically regrets his life's work. He's feeling lost over uh. his life's work. And um, he has joined calls with other people uh, to regulate AI and says that he does not think that militaries should be granted AI powers. Hmm. Um, and he is actually the second of the so-called uh, three godfathers of AI who uh, has who has joined in the call to to basically stop giving hmm. AI uh, or stop developing AI. Um, he basically likens it to climate change. He says that it's never too late to improve, like kind of like we're, we're in it because yeah, of our own yeah. doing, but it's never too late to do something about it. Sure. Um, and, uh, and the, so the, of the other God fathers, I don't like saying that. <laughs> yes. It's just a weird of the other three scientists, the two others. Um, there's Dr. Jeffrey Hinton, who basically also signed the same warning as the, the first professor uh, and he's retired from Google recently, saying that he regretted his work. I regret what I've done. Look what I've done to my boy. <laughs> and then the third godfather, Professor Jan Lacoon, uh, who worked alongside the other two, uh, basically said, eh, it's not that big of a deal. This <laughs> sure. is all overblown. Oh, sure. Well, whatever. Uh, look, I, I don't know uh, if, if there is this, like, clarion call for like the destruction of humanity that we need to worry about or whatever all i know is that it doesn't really matter what tool we come up with we'll find a way to kill a bunch of human beings with it so this is you know we invented the combustion engine and fossil fuel burning and we have killed so many people already based on that technology so we invented uh the nuclear bomb and once we decided that we could channel the power of the atom the first thing we did was drop it on a couple of cities like not ideal use of that technology. Right. I mean, and again, it all just comes down to this question of ethics, right? Yeah. Um, this July, Oppenheimer in theaters everywhere. <laughs> could we versus should we? Yeah. 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 The uh, the other could we versus uh, should we mm-hmm. is, uh, should we destroy Cyberdyne systems? A hundred percent, yes. Apparently, yes. The answer is, is we should in this movie. Uh, so there's, uh, it's another long set piece. It's, it's, again, another fantastic action set piece. Mm-hmm. Um, the T-1000 is, uh, tracks them down to Cyberdyne as they're going to destroy, uh, the building. They also, they, so they destroy all the files for, um, Mr. Dyson's work. Mm -hmm. Um, they take the original Terminator's hand and computer chip and they abscond with it. They run away. In the process, uh, Miles dies. He gets shot and he has to hold this weight over Mm -hmm. like a a button to like blow up the building which uh, is awesome. Like that part of the movie is so tense. It's so like, good. And again, I think I mentioned to to you as we were watching, I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand the implication of what was happening in that film the first time that I watched this when I was like nine. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I didn't get why his body was shaking. I didn't get why he was sweating yeah, or like any yeah, yeah. of the things that were happening. Yeah. I just, I vividly recall being like, what is going on? Why is he shaking like that? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. One thing you'll probably notice about this aspect, this part of the movie mm-hmm. is the sounds of all the weapons are just like hyper realistic. Mm-hmm. So in this movie, the Foley work 
was so extensive that nearly every incidental movement was replaced or foleyed over, right? So the creaks in the Terminator's leather jacket, mm -hmm. um, the footsteps, um, the whole escape, the escape from the hospital, um, like where she uses the paperclip to pick the um, the strap buckle. Mm -hmm. All of those sounds were replaced after the fact using Foley. Um, most of the weapons used uh, other sounds, right? So um, handguns would use the sound of uh, higher caliber guns. Shotguns would use the sounds of actual cannons. Um, you'll the grenade launcher that he uses, where it's like thunk. Like that sound yeah. was made from like dunking a bottle or something like that, like to, to add in that very So it's just like a hyper-realistic. Exactly. They said that was the entire um, focus of the sound design was hyper-reality. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing that was used with the original sound was the minigun that Schwarzenegger uses when he's shooting out the window right. with the chain gun. Um, but because it's so fast... The sound of a real minigun is just one loud, monotonous sound. Just like, so they just did like a thunk, 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 they just thunk, thunk. slowed it way, way down. Mm -hmm. So it was like, so it's like actually way know, more ominous. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that, I think that's a really interesting way to look through this scene. If as you watch it is just think about all of those sounds being replaced by a person. Like an actual person recording a sound that sounds mm -hmm. exactly right and putting it over the original uh, original sound design. I can imagine you being a sound design person in another life. <laughs> I could see you loving that and sure. just nerding out over all the different ways that you could just make, you know, yeah. different sounds with different things. It would just be me doing it with my voice, though. <laughs> all, all of the guns <laughs> would just sound like... Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's... I, I wanted to say, uh, yes, so this won the Oscar for Best Sound Effects. Yeah. Um, just really quickly, it also won Best Sound, uh, Best Visual Effects, and uh, Best Makeup. So all below the line, but like, you know, pretty fantastic uh, set of awards for the the creatives in the in this space. Yeah. Um, yeah. It also was nominated for Best Cinematography for Adam Greenberg and uh, Best Film Editing. So um, the, the one thing about uh, Adam Greenberg is he... Let me just pull up his um, his resume. He's got a few other Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Okay. He also has some of your favorite movies. Uh, so he was the DP for the movie Ghost. Okay. For the movie Sister Act. Yeah. Um, he also did Junior, Eraser, and Collateral Damage, which were all Schwarzenegger movies. Uh -huh. um, and he did Rush Hour, the, the Brett Ratner, um, Jackie Chan, Chris Tucker movie. Okay. And uh, he finally did Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> so right. it's kind of downhill from here, but... Uh, you know, he got a got a best uh, cinematography nominee or nomination. The one thing that I I will say because we sort of we got past it. It the, there was one jarring thing about this yeah, that yeah. has nothing to do with the Terminator, but the scene where they're in Mexico and she's getting all of her guns. There were children running by with yeah, guns, yeah. and they looked like real guns. And I was like, "Whoa, what are these kids that are in this like military complex with real guns?" And it, they were children with play guns because in the eighties and nineties, yeah. play guns could just look like real guns, yeah. and they didn't even have an orange tip. On yeah, them. they didn't have the little safety tip on them. They just looked like actual real firearms. Yes. And that yeah. was that was absolutely just an acceptable thing that parents let happen yeah. in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. And presciently, John Connor says, "We're not going to make it, are we? People, I mean, it's like yeah. no, we're not. No, going. there are children running around pretending to murder each other <laughs> yeah. with weapons that look like real weapons, yeah. not even pretending to be like, oh, I'm a water yeah. squirter. Yeah. By the way, speaking yeah. of sound, yeah, uh, all of John Connor's lines were dubbed over. 
His voice changed about uh, halfway through production. His and, voice was very clearly yeah. changing throughout this entire thing. He's got the adorable, like, squeaky scream that's yeah. going on. Yeah. And so they had to redo all of his dialogue um, and, and dub it over, uh, with the exception of, I think there's one part where um, uh, Schwarzenegger or says, asks, like, why do you cry? And mm-hmm. John Connor has to explain it. Um, they kept that in because they liked the performance and they're like, yeah, we'll deal with it. But uh, yeah. Uh, but they everything else they had to re-record and then pitch correct. All of his all of his screaming. I mean it but it gives such a good like um it gives such a good feel to and like see like preteen yeah. yeah, like it just it it adds to the character so well. And I was even wondering, like, man, that was some good luck or timing that they'd found this kid who was clearly going yeah. through his voice changing as they're filming this. Yeah, and not only that, he was growing very quickly too, because again, filming over eight months. Yeah. Uh, at a certain point, in order to keep the height difference between him and Linda Hamilton, they had to dig a hole in the ground and have him stand in a hole so that he wouldn't be <laughs> so tall. It's that's, funny. That's hilarious. I mean, well, because we were also wondering as we were going through, like, how old is this kid supposed to be? Yeah, 10. And he's supposed to be 10. He doesn't look like a 10-year-old. Well, so uh, at parts, it's the part you mentioned in Mexico. Yeah. That was what they shot first. Yeah. And so he does look quite young. Yes. Um, but he was, I think, 13 to 14 when this movie was made. And so, yeah, very quickly, he no longer. <laughs> I mean, I recall my brother, my brother grew like six inches over one summer. Yep. Yep. He was, he was 13 and all of a sudden he was six, four, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So that is, uh, that, that is what happened with Edward Furlong, although I think he's still short. So the last thing about the Cyberdyne system stuff is the idea to destroy Cyberdyne systems was mm-hmm. actually part of the original Terminator movie. Yeah. They got cut from the final release. Um, they have DVD deleted scenes where you can see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but James Cameron said that he was lucky to cut it out um, because uh, it formed the nucleus of this movie. Yeah. Um, and he said that the reason they cut it out of the original uh, was just because it was poorly acted. I was going <laughs> to say, I bet they cut it out because he wasn't happy with That's how exactly it ended it. up. Yep, that's right. <laughs> it's like, well, this just sucked. Just do it again. Yeah, but um, he said that in this movie, in Terminator 2, he actually did a lot of the camera work himself. He handheld a lot of the camera. I was like, of course you did, James. What a type A personality. <laughs> yeah, 100%, yeah, 100% he is. Uh-huh. Um, but hey, he got the results. Um, speaking of results, let's move straight ahead to that uh, that lovely scene in the steel mill, right? Mm. Uh, not much to say about this other than it's sort of a final showdown between the Terminators. Right. Um, the the liquid that they used to represent the hot steel, mm-hmm. obviously it was fake. Like it would not have been safe <laughs> to be in there with just like regular old um, molten steel going on. Right. Uh, it was actually a, a fake liquid that required it to be fairly cool. Oh. So in the in the scene, they're like freezing. <laughs> they're very cold, and they have to mist them before every uh, shot, so that it looks like they're sweating. <laughs> and so they just had like really cold water and on a lot them. of like orange lighting. Yep, tons of orange lighting to bounce off of that stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, and which is a contrast to everything we had seen before, because the um, the hospital scene and the Cyberdyne system scene was all blue. It was all blue. Yeah. Yep. So really, really cool. Like. Another reason that this thing was nominated for Best Cinematography, like very great design mm-hmm. um, of all the lighting. So, you know, I think that uh, th- what we see here is the big the big takeaway is they dump the old Terminator's hand and computer chip into the stuff and it melts. Great, yay, hooray. Right. But then there's like, all right, we're all done. And Arnold's like, no, we are not. We got one more. He points one to more his head. chip. Yeah. And he says, here, Terminators cannot self- uh, 
self-destruct or whatever. Right. Um, so they got that third third law of robotics <laughs> in there. Um, but originally there was no line for that. And mm-hmm. Arnold added it in um, because he was like, people are going to wonder why I can't just jump into the <laughs> jump into the thing. And so Cameron was like, yeah, I guess that's right. <laughs> so here, just say, uh, I can't self-terminate. And then there you go. I mean, it's true. Like you could just walk off the thing, yeah. but I guess if there's a rule, then then yeah, you should add it in. Yeah. And the last little note about Arnold before he plunges uh, into that cauldron of uh, mel- molten steel, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was given a slightly used Gulfstream 3 airplane worth about $14 million by the producer Mario Kasser uh, for accepting the role in the film. Uh, his salary for the movie was $15 million. Wow. So he basically cleared $30 million, uh, in this. Um but it doesn't count because I, I think that there was there was so much talk about later films where actors got like twenty million or or whatever, yeah. and um, that being like record breaking. But I guess they must not have counted yeah, the plane. Yeah, the plane was a gift outside of the budget of the film. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, also, uh, Edward Furlong and, and Schwarzenegger got along really well, like almost immediately. Um, it says the young actor um, had grown up without a father figure, and Schwarzenegger kind of filled that role for him, uh, both in front of and behind the camera. Uh, Linda Hamilton made a joke about it, that she experienced some of the uh, sort of excruciating moments when she was forced to listen, listen to Schwartz, Schwarzenegger give Furlong advice about women. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and stated that they did so well together because they were, quote, emotionally the same age. <laughs> so, you know, and in this movie, Schwarzenegger, I think it was like 43. Right, right. I One thing that's interesting is that that Hamilton is um, does such a good job of, of playing the almost... There, there were a lot of moments in the film where I thought, oh, Sarah Connor is so maternal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I was also thinking, oh, maybe she's just trying to protect, like, the savior of the world. I mean, also, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she does a great job, um, you know, where... I think she puts like a gas mask over John at one point, And then she's also grabbing him and saying like, stay under these vests. And I just had the thought as I was watching, like, oh, she's being such a good mom trying to protect her kid. And I was like, she's just trying to protect the guy who's going to save humanity, I guess. <laughs> I think she's doing both. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. I think it's, it's a nice little, I mean, as a parent, you always think your kids are going to be the one to fix everything. Right. Maybe. No. <laughs> Ask, it depends on the time of day. Yeah. That's, that's very true. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, uh, the, this movie sort of, um, ends with a, a pause on AI development from Cyberdyne, which got blown up and a pause on uh, any future development because the Terminator got melted down. Right. Well, similarly in the real world, we have uh, a lot of leaders in technology calling for a pause on AI development Mm -hmm. in, in science. Uh, so there, uh, I guess on March 29th, there were a bunch of leaders in the field of technology who signed a letter that was uh, published calling for AI developers to pause their work for six months. I don't know what six months is going to do. People sure. aren't going to figure things out in six months. But the letter basically warned of potential risks to society and humanity, uh, humanities and uh, people that were signatories uh, were uh, included uh, stability AI CEO Imad Mostak, okay. um, researchers from Alphabet, um, and then also AI heavyweights, um, who I mentioned before, Yeshua Bengio and Stuart Russell, um, and there were also other uh, 
people on there that that we know. So like Elon Musk was on it and also Steve Wozniak. Uh-huh. Don't know why anybody would care what Elon Musk has to say about this other than the fact that he literally owns Twitter. So people have to kind of listen to him. Sure. Yeah. If they're logging onto Twitter. Yeah. You know, I I think it's funny. It's like th- it's not really a compelling reason for any one organization to pause. No. Because like, then you're just going to be behind those organizations that choose not to. Well, I mean, that's kind of it, right? The fact that you have somebody for an AI company saying like, look, Google and Microsoft, I really think you should pause what you're doing with AI feels very self-interested. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, you know, it's not going to happen. I think we're just going to run face first into whatever it is that eventually kills us, but that's fine. You know, (laughs) right. I mean, see those glowing red eyes coming. But you know what? We're going to have really dank memes on the way. Sweet. AI generated. Love a meme. Yeah. (laughs) Did you know that this Friday is meme day at Cassius's school? I don't know what that is. I don't know what it means to dress like a meme. I don't know. Today was emoji day. So (laughs) I don't know what that means. He's got enough emojis (laughs) as it is. Um, So anyway, uh, we are are at the end of our movie, at the end of our news. I am going to give you a quick rundown of a few uh, receptions and responses. Yeah. Uh, let's hear so it. one thing that I thought was really interesting is because they didn't want anyone to know about the Schwarzenegger being a good guy yeah. sort of thing. Um, when they went to create a trailer for the movie, typically, you know, trailer, you just pull scenes from the movie and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Cameron actually uh, asked this guy, Stan Winston to direct a teaser trailer that was from wholly new footage. Mm-hmm. He didn't want the trailer to be early footage, and so he gave the guy a budget of $150,000, and he created a trailer that showed a futuristic assembly line churning out copies of Terminators. I love it. All of which ended up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he had fears the audience would react to uh, Schwarzenegger returning as the Terminator poorly, um, since the Terminator was destroyed in the first one. Right. Um, but the teaser um, indicated that, oh, there, there's more than one of these. So we can absolutely have Arnold back, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of solve that problem. Um, it also ran for over a year before the movie came out. Um, and it was shown before a film that came out in 1990 with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Total Recall. So, so, so smart. Um, and I mean, I was even thinking as... As we're at the end of the film and like, you know, Arnold is going down into the whatever and Eddie Furlong is crying and you like, it must have been such a complete mind fuck for people to watch this and to, to find themselves rooting for this guy who was so terrifying in the first film. Yeah. And to, to have feelings of, of like genuine sadness and remorse, at least when I was watching it. Sure. Where he's, he's going and you've got this kid who's crying and to have it, you know, uh, I, the first time I saw this film, uh, I think that was this was the first Terminator I saw. I don't think that I saw the original. Yes, I um, saw the original after this one. Yeah, I saw this one first. And the, so for me, he was always the good guy. Yes, yeah. The first one is incredibly dark and incredibly violent. Right. It's much closer to like a RoboCop. Well, even RoboCop's kind of satirical. So it, it is just very grim, uh, yeah. the first one. And this one is like funny and lighthearted and yeah. Right, and he's and he's the protagonist. Yeah. And, and it must have been so weird for audiences to go in. I love that he kept that a secret. I love that they didn't give it away because- because that would have that would have ruined it. Yeah, yeah you know. Yeah. So so good for him. Good for them. I'm I'm all about trailers that are just vibes and mm-hmm. no and no spoilers. Yep. And so this film was the first 
ever U.S. film to break over $300 million at the international box office. It made $200 million here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was worldwide $520 million. It was the top grossing R-rated action film of all time adjusted for inflation. So R-rated action film, it is number one. That makes sense. With a bullet. (laughs) Get it? Because. And then (laughs) despite that R rating, like you would, you typically nowadays don't see things being rated R because how are we going to merchandise it? right? Right. Despite being an R-rated film, this had numerous toy lines and other children's toys uh, that were all financially successful. Like, so right. just make a good movie. People will let their kids watch it, and trust me, it'll be fun. And they'll just, like, very loosely hold their hand in front of their children's faces. That's exactly right, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, we both watched it yep. when it came out. Or, yeah. you know, I guess we wouldn't be able to watch it in theaters because I don't think they would let children They wouldn't let you it. in, yeah, that's we right. Watched, I watched it VHS. on VHS yep. at home. Yep. The uh, the other the toy that I remember um, is there was an exoskeleton that was inside of a mold and you could push in this goo around the mold and it would create like the skin around the Terminator. And then you could have that take like battle damage and like tear off and stuff like that. Kind of a very cool toy. It's amazing. Yeah. And didn't get it. It was expensive. Yeah. My mom didn't like things like slime and and all that. So also fair. I appreciate that Sarah Connor. Yeah. Um, So the (laughs) projected budget Mm. when it was announced was $12 million. Whoa, that's so low. Do you know what the final budget was? I'm going to say... Keep in mind it's 1991, so... $87 million. Pretty close, 102. Okay. Yeah. So, um, despite the fact that the studio was concerned it may not be able to recoup its costs, Mm -hmm. um, it had those distribution deals in place early. Right. Um, And so before it played on a single screen, they already made their money back. Right. Yeah. So it was like, oh, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, this guy coming off hit after hit after hit action movie, Mm -hmm. reprising his role from Terminator, uh, directed by the guy who just did Aliens and the Abyss. Like, yeah, this is going to be amazing. That's so. right. And then he would go on to become the governor of California somehow. <laughs> yep, sure sure did. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought uh, it, it's it was a movie that's seminal in sort of our uh, film biographies. I think anyone who was around our age was like, oh, this was the best movie ever made. Yeah. Like, there's a point where you might have thought that, like, this is what movies are supposed to be like. Um, I never thought that, but I, I did like it a yeah. lot. For me, it is is five star, like one of the best movies that you can watch. Uh, so yeah, so there you go. Glad it's on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of those things that, again, you just watch as a, as a kid and um, it's great. But then re-watching it as a grown up, it, it just holds up so well. Yeah. Even with all of the technological advances that we've had in the past 30 years. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's funny that things that are real look real. Amazing how that mm-hmm. works out, right? Good job, Mr. Cameron, in case no one's ever told you that. <laughs> yeah. Hear it from me first. Yeah, and now he's making movies that are all set in uh, Pandora, and so we'll <sighs> never see real things again from him on screen. <laughs> Great. Uh, well, anyway, that is our show for today. Sorry we ran a little long, but it's a good movie, and it was fun. So uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. You can find us on uh, Twitter. We are at the podcast. 
<laughs> We're at the podcast.twitter.com. Uh, we are at the crosscut, or you can find us on Instagram. We are at the crosscut pod. Uh, yeah, have a fantastic weekend. Um, go see the new Spider Man movie just randomly. That's, yeah, that's I, worth your time. Across the Spider Verse, very good. In theaters, go go do do yourself a solid. Go see it. Yeah. Um, also going to be one of those classics forever and ever. And we're we're doing uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze next week. Remember that. So uh, go find that on your local Blockbuster <laughs> or whatever. Uh, I don't know. It's not streaming anywhere. So just you, know, you figure it out. But uh, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you later. Bye.